Well, good morning, Northgate Baptist. Oh, that was all right. I'll let you. I'll let, that'll be a pass. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up with me this morning. I uh, just encourage you to open to 1 Thessalonians uh, as we come to chapter 2. Uh, and as you're turning there, uh, let me just wish everyone a happy fall kickoff Sunday. Uh, it's not an official holiday. You won't find it on the calendar. We're working on it. We're, you know, we're you know, talking to the members of the government. But it's not yet, but it's a big day for us. Um, and I hope that you'll, you know, not just join us for a hamburger and a pop and all that kind of stuff after the service. I hope that this is also an opportunity that you'll take advantage of some of the ministries that we're starting up and that you'll just, you know, find a place to, to in this here in our church to grow and to serve and just to belong. Um, and you know, it seems, it probably seems strange to say, uh, maybe it's just me, it's a pastor thing, but I've been dreaming about this day, I think for a long time. Probably several years, in fact, because it kind of feels like the first sort of real kickoff Sunday we've had since COVID. The last one probably would have been September like 2018 or something like that. It's been a long time. It's kind of a milestone, kind of a landmark that says, at least to me, you know, we're back. But that leads to the question uh, that I think we have before us this morning that's kind of raised in the passage uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning in First Thessalonians, which is if we're kicking off church ministries today, what do we want our church ministries to look like? You know, what kind of ministry do we want, you know, as a church to have? What kind of ministry should we be striving for? Well, that's what Paul is kind of actually writing about in our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. As he talks to this church and reminds them of his own ministry during the time that he ministered among them at the church in Thessalonica. And there's a lot to cover this morning. Uh, the good news is when I'm done, there should be burgers ready. So, um, you know, that's, <laughs> if I go long, get hungry. Uh, but let's just take a look at this passage where Paul talks about what it really takes to have a great ministry, a ministry with a good reputation. And I think a ministry that makes God proud. He says in second verse that, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, if you want to follow along. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that our hearts this morning would just be filled with uh, not just readiness, but anticipation. Uh, Lord, anticipation of the word that you're going to speak to us now, anticipation of the fall kickoff later, anticipation of this ministry year that we have before us. Lord, we stand excited to see all that you are going to do um, in our church and through the people of this church. And Lord, in this hour and these moments we have before us, Lord, I just pray that you would help to focus our hearts and focus our minds, that our ears would be open to hear the words you would have us hear and that it would be truth that transforms us, a truth that leaves us changed, a truth that we hold onto and, and transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And not just ourselves, but Lord, our church as a whole, that Lord, we would be truly a church uh, with a good reputation that is pleasing to you. We ask that you would just, again, be with us in our time together through your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine just for a moment this morning that uh, you have a young child, or, or maybe it's your grandchild, and you just you take one of those you know, moments to ask that precious child of yours, the question we often ask our children, you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And chances are you'll get one of the usual answers, you know, maybe a doctor, maybe an astronaut, a policeman, a nurse, a fireman. And hearing that, you'd probably be, yeah, that's, I'm, yeah, I'm proud, you know, that's, those are great answers, great things to aspire to. But now imagine for a moment what you would do if that precious little child looked up at you, up at you and said, when I grow up, I want to be a televangelist. Chances are you might do a little bit of a double take because, you know, televangelists, rightly or wrongly, and sadly, mostly wrongly, they can have a bit of a bad reputation in our society. You know, televangelists are accused of everything from sort of moral lapses to unethical ministry practices to, you know, sort of outright fraud and deception of sort of criminal proportions. You know, you see them late night TV, they're selling, you know, miracles, spring water and prayer hankies and, you know, demanding donations from many people who can't afford it, all the while they're flying around in private jets and living in their million dollar mansions. They kind of prey on the, the faithful and the gullible alike. And that bad reputation, in many ways, has rubbed off on the church as a whole. Uh, you know, these, these few bad apples seem to have kind of have spoiled the bunch, because there was a survey released just a couple of years ago uh, that asked people to list various professions by their trustworthiness. And at the top were, were like the nurses and the doctors and the firemen who did very well. But when it came to clergy, we didn't, <laughs> not so much. Pastors came in just below plumbers at 24%. So we beat the politicians. We beat the car salesmen. I don't know. I don't know if that's saying much. But you know, perhaps, you know, this shouldn't come as a surprise because this is not a new thing. Even in Paul's time, there were sort of these religious swindlers who would roll into town and they would charm people with flattering words and they would take offerings and maybe sell a few relics and then they would just skip town before anyone got wise to the fact that they were frauds. And this all matters because as we come to our passage in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, you see, those are exactly the kind of accusations that Paul's enemies were accusing him of 
in his time in Thessalonica among these people. They were trying to tell the people in this church that Paul, when he was with you, he was just another one of those religious salespeople. He was just another fraud that was in it for himself, that he never really cared for them. He was just in it for the money. And those lies that they were telling seemed to have worked, at least in part, because Paul's reputation had suffered enough that he felt compelled to write this part of this letter as a defense of both his own reputation and his ministry. And as he does that, he actually ends up giving us some very important lessons about what a good and ethical and ministry of integrity looks like. He describes a ministry that we actually as a church should be seeking to imitate. And I thought, what a great passage as we you know, look to kick off our fall kickoff this morning, that this is the kind of ministry we can really hope that our church will have going forward. And Paul begins in verse, uh, chapter 2 of verse 1, simply saying, For you know, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. And now remember the context here of Paul's ministry in this town, because it was cut short. Uh, Thessalonica was, was actually the kind of city that Paul really kind of, he liked to stay in those big cities for a while. I mean, there's a place that had major trade routes going through it. It's a place where Christianity just could have spread so easily. You know, given the chance, Paul likely would have put down roots in that city for, for a long time. And yet we, we learn in the book of Acts that it was only three weeks after preaching for three weeks that Paul was chased out of that town by an angry mob. And I would think that would have been pretty discouraging. And you know, some of you may have even have been in a situation like that yourselves. You know, a situation where you're just so excited about doing something for God. And you know, you think, oh man, I want to reach out. I want to minister. I want to serve. I want to help some people. So you, you take the risk and you make the sacrifice and you step out in faith. And you say, God, here I am, send me. And you pour out your blood and your sweat and your tears. You give it your best shot. But then, you know, just nothing seems to work out for you the way that you thought it would. And it all kind of just falls apart. And it can be so discouraging. And you may even be tempted to think to yourself, you know, what was the point of even trying? Yet Paul is telling us, even though his ministry in Thessalonica I mean, it, it ended up in a way he never would have expected. Even though there were obstacles and there was opposition and there was antagonism and it was just very short, Paul says to this church, that doesn't mean that my time with you was a waste. It doesn't mean that it was a failure because it wasn't in vain because God is still able, was still able to work in the lives of you people, even in spite of all the things that may have gone wrong. And, you know, we really need to know that too. And that's our actually first lesson when it comes to ministry we want to learn this morning. It's, just, it's knowing that our work is never in vain. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything that we do for God and for the gospel matters. And it matters even when we feel like we failed. Now someone once wrote these words. 
says, failure does not mean that I will never make it. It means only that I didn't make it today. Failure does not mean I have accomplished nothing. It means what I, I accomplished is a chance for God to be at work in ways that I do not yet fully understand. Failure does not mean that I should give up. It means that I have the opportunity now to try new things. Failure does not mean that God has abandoned me. It means I have an opportunity to let my failure draw me closer to God. And failure does not mean I've been a fool. Failure means I had the faith to try. You know, even when we feel like we may have failed, God can turn that into a victory. And I think that happens for us as a church when we hold on to three very important truths. And the first is that we, as a church, when it comes to ministry, we fully trust in God. You know, just like the farmer who can, you know, he can put a seed in the ground, but he can't make it grow. The growth is out of his hands. He doesn't have the power to do that. Same way, we can serve. You know, we can make plans. We can put on ministries, but it is God who brings the increase. It is God who brings the fruitfulness. The true work of ministry is done by him and through his Holy Spirit. And God can be at work in any situation. Even ones where we think, you know, nothing's going to happen there. Uh, you know, he can use the smallest of things to accomplish the greatest of miracles. You know, if God can take a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish and feed a multitude, if he can create the entire universe out of nothing, I mean, just imagine what he can do with us. When we serve, we can have certainty that even as small as our efforts can be at times, God can use what we are doing to serve him in ways we never, may never expect if we will only look to God and trust him for the results. And you know, I truly believe there's an old saying, I believe it's true, that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God is at work all around us in ways we can't expect. And then the second thing about this, our labor not being in vain, is we need to hold on to the truth that we need to persevere. Uh, Paul writes, continues in verse 2, he says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. You know, Paul had already been run out of town in Philippi. That was a city he was in, you know, basically right before. And yet, as we learned, the very next place that Paul goes to, he does it all again. And he gets thrown out of that town again, so he moves on to Berea. And then after that, he moves on to Athens, and then he moves on to Corinth. He persevered in the work, even when things didn't go the way he expected. And you know, make no mistake, when you try to serve the kingdom of God, there will be resistance. There's going to be naysayers. There's going to be those who want to shut you down and shut you up. There's going to be hard times. And you know, it's so easy to give up when, when things get tough and when you're tired, Nothing simpler than throwing in the towel when you're exhausted and defeated and feeling attacked. But we have to keep going. We must not give up. You know, setbacks should not stop our serving. Because even when we're discouraged, there's nothing that beats the plain old power of perseverance. We keep on serving. And that leads us to the third thing, third lesson it comes to making sure our labor is not in vain. And that's making sure that we serve with all of our hearts. Uh, that we do the work diligently, even sacrificially, um, because ministry is hard work. Uh, skipping down to verse 9 of our passage, Paul says, 
For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You know, according to tradition, uh, every Jewish boy had to learn a trade. Uh, even though most people thought, you know, Paul was, he was on the fast track to be, you know, a Pharisee, probably, you know, even on the Sanhedrin, a rabbi. Uh, he still had to learn a trade, and his trade was tent making. So when Paul became a preacher of the gospel and kind of left that old life behind him, rather than, you know, taking offerings from the new church to help support himself, he instead worked long hours into the night to raise his own money so that he could live and not be a burden on the church. And when it comes to ministry, the lesson here is that there is a need for people who are willing to work and work hard. As a church, we need not just the leaders, but the entire body of Christ to be active in in reaching out, active in using their spiritual gifts, active in serving. And I just, I want to make an appeal here to each one of you to let you know that there is a place where you can serve in this church. There's a place where you can go to work. We have volunteers needed in in many areas and different ministries, and we would love to have each one of you join the team and find a place to serve. Because a ministry that God uses has workers who work hard, who work persistently, and work trusting God, knowing that their labor is not in vain. And the goal of that labor, as Paul has pointed out, is the gospel. Uh, Verse 2 continues, and he says, As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You know, here's another sure sign that Paul's ministry is the real deal. Because Paul was willing to preach the gospel. He's willing to be bold with the gospel, even if it meant conflict. Paul was willing to stand for the truth, even if it was unpopular. And he did all of those things because he wanted to see people saved. He says in Romans 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And if you're looking for a reason for all that we do as a church, you don't have to look any farther than that. That is it. That's why we do what we do as a church. We don't run programs just for the sake of running programs. It's not to create activity. You know, we do it all for an opportunity to have a chance to proclaim the gospel and tell people the good news about Jesus Christ and the salvation and the forgiveness that can be found in him. As a church, it's a reminder that proclaiming the gospel must be front and center of all we do. We are motivated by sharing the good news with people and and seeing that truth take hold of a person's life. And churches that lose sight of that or have some other motive are churches that really have lost their way. And the best way to hold on to that truth and keep it front and center, is to make sure that your church is also firmly established on the Word of God. Because that's what Paul was. He says in verse 3, he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul's telling this church, you know, the message that we preach to you It was not some made-up, feel-good, gobbledygook. It was not self-help, power of positive thinking, motivational mumble-jumbo. He says, instead, the message we proclaim to you was the message of God himself. Without error, without impurity, 
without any deception. Because Paul's source was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he didn't change that message to make it more seeker-sensitive. He preached it as it was and as it still is. And he says even that he felt like that was a truth that was entrusted to him by God, like a precious thing that he had to keep pure and safe. But you know, that's not always true anymore. Churches being faithful to the word of God. There are churches today where I think the constitution and bylaws of the church are quoted more than the Bible. Uh, Usually in places you don't want to stay long. Uh, There's churches where the thoughts of the pastor are more important than the word of God. There are churches that are more motivated by the winds of public opinion than they are by the unchangeable truths of Scripture. But you know what? As a church, we want our ministry to be rooted and established and founded on the Word of God. We want to be preaching it. We want to be teaching it. We want to be living it out in every area of our lives. And in our church, we want to be, you know, we want the holding fast to the Bible, to the Scriptures, to be a characteristic of our ministry. And then Paul adds in verse 4, saying, So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul reminds his readers here that his motives for serving and his motives for speaking was not popularity. It was not to please people. It was not to gather, you know, a, a crowd, what do we call it, like a following. His motive was to please God and God alone. And that's something else that is essential if you want to have a ministry that has a good reputation. Because people-pleasing is still such a subtle and deceptive trap for many people in many churches. And you have to know, people-pleasing, if that's your passion, that's your motivation, it never really works out for you the way you think it will. There's an old fable that's been passed down for generations that tells about an elderly man who was traveling with a young boy and a donkey. And as they walked through the first village along the way, the man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking behind. And the townspeople of the first pound said, the old man was a fool for not riding. There's a donkey, get on. So to please that town, he got on the donkey and, and, and continued to ride uh, to the next town. When he came to the next town, the people said the old man was cruel to let the child walk while he ride. How mean is that? So to please them, he got off and he set the boy on the animal's back and they continued on their way. In the third village, the people accused the child of being lazy. How do you make an old man walk when you're riding? So you know, they made the suggestion that both of them get on and ride. So they did. Both the man and the boy climbed on the donkey and they set off again. In the fourth village... The townspeople were indignant at the cruelty to the donkey for having to carry such a heavy load. And it's said that in the end, the frustrated man was last seen walking down the road carrying the donkey. Like it just. (laughs) You can't please people. You can't please everyone. If you try, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. And that's why Paul cuts out the confusion. He says, and I simply live my life to please God. He says something very similar when he writes to the Galatian church. Galatians 1 verse 10, he says, for, uh, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Life is simpler. Life is so much more focused 
when we just we live for an audience of one. You know, Jesus' words on the Sermon of the Mount are, are you know, to, that we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's something we need to be doing in our lives. And it's something we need to be doing in our church as well. We need to be a kingdom-focused church. And that's something that's often bigger than ourselves. You know, honoring God, pleasing God, seeking God, that often means doing his work when there's no direct benefit to ourselves. But as our church, we want our eyes on the bigger picture. So, you know, when we feed the homeless, we don't expect anything back because we know that's kingdom work. When we help those in the community who have needs, when we support, you know, missions overseas, when we help the villages in Africa, when we welcome refugees, you know, some people might see that as a strain on our resources, but we know it is all the work of the Lord. And that's what pleases Him. And we want to serve God as a kingdom-focused church. But we also want to live our lives with integrity as well. Uh, Paul continues in verse 5. He says, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor did we with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And then skipping down to verse 10, he says, you are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you as believers. Now Chuck Swindoll, I think he put it really well when he once said, ministry is a character profession. To put it bluntly, you can sleep around and still be a good brain surgeon. You can cheat on your spouse and have little trouble continuing to practice law. Apparently it's no problem to stay in politics and plagiarize. But you cannot do those things as a Christian or as a minister and continue to know the Lord's blessing. You must have integrity, character. And Paul was saying to this church that he lived their life among them with character and integrity. It wasn't about being greedy. It wasn't about, you know, doing it for himself. It wasn't, you know, he said, no, you, you saw how I lived. You are witnesses, and God's a witness too. Of my life was on display. And he didn't hold anything back. You know, nothing was hidden. People could see how Paul lived his life. They could see how he talked. They could see how he prayed. They could see how he related to people. They saw how he conducted his business in the marketplace. They saw how hard he worked. You know, they saw how he ate. They saw how he sneezed. I mean, everything. His life was transparent and lived before people. It's not that Paul's life was perfect. You know, actually, the word that he uses in verse 10, blameless, it doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean sinless. It means more like maturing. Paul's saying, I'm getting there because I'm doing all that I can to live with integrity and character in my life. And that's how we're all called to live and how we're called as a church to minister. And we hope that when the people outside the walls of this church look at our ministry, that they would see that. Not a perfect church, but a sincere one. You know, a church that's motivated by its values. A church that's authentic. A church that's honest. A church that holds to the truth. A church of people who live with integrity. And that leads us to verse 7. As Paul says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because we, you had become very dear to us. 
And here's another lesson about, you know, having a respected ministry. Because a ministry like that, it cares for people. Paul loved the people that he ministered to. And he shared his life with them. I love that term he uses there in verse 8. Affectionately desirous of you. What a picture that paints. Guys, little tip. Put that in your, in your spouse's next, next like birthday card that I'm affectionate. Oh, it'll be so good for you. Um, it's a beautiful phrase that talks about this great love that he had. And it's not an accident that Paul, you know, mentions loving this church like a parent. Verse 7, he says, I loved you like a nursing mother. Later on in verse 11, he'll mention that he was like a father with his children. Because that's what a church is called to be. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not even a gathering of like-minded individuals. A church should first and foremost feel like a family. A place where you have brothers and sisters in Christ who love each other. We should be the people who are following that example that Jesus himself gave us when he gave us the command, John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you know, that's so important. I mean, having that kind of love present in a church, it makes a difference. And that's why as a church, we want to be the kind of church that loves people. We want people that we come in contact to know with to know that they matter. We want people to know that we care. We want people to feel like they are valued and that they have a place to belong when they come here. And you know, I know we're not always perfect at doing that, but our desire is to be that kind of church, that kind of community, that kind of family that just cares deeply for one another. And I'll put another plug in. If you kind of want that in your life, one of the best ways that you can do it is to join a small group in one of our churches. Just surrounding yourself with those people who will hold you in prayer, who will hold up, you know, just encourage you when, you, when things get down, you can share your life with. Small groups are so important to getting that loving, caring feeling happening in a church. And that leads us to the last lesson of Paul's ministry that we really want to make our own in this church. And that is simply encouragement. Uh, he writes in verse 11 and 12 of our passage. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know, this always sort of sticks home for me because I remember when I was in seminary. And we had so I had some fellow students who were actually already... In, they were already involved in pastoring churches. And there's this one time, I remember it vividly, where two of these guys uh, were talking about something we just learned in class. And the one guy said to the other guy, boy, on Sunday morning, I am really going to let my people have it. Because he felt like his church was being too lazy or too complacent or something like that. And I'll tell you, that really bothered me. And one of my profs overheard him say that too, and he really rebuked this guy. But it was a lesson that stuck with me to the, even to this day. And it was a moment I decided that as much as I am able as a pastor, I would not try to guilt or chastise or shame people into the Christian life. I wouldn't try to use fear or anger or manipulation to motivate people. Instead, I would dedicate myself to being an encourager. 
Just telling people that they can do it. Letting people know about the good news that they can take hold of. Exhorting people to live the life that God created for them. And exhorting is just a really, it's a fancy word that means really, really encouraging people. It's being a cheerleader. And that's how Paul lived as well and ministered. You know, Paul believed in people. And Paul wanted the the best for people. And Paul encouraged people to take hold of the life and the hope that God has provided for them in Christ. And he was so excited about that, he probably wanted it for them more than they wanted it for themselves. And that can be contagious. But people respected Paul's ministry because Paul, he was an encourager. As a church, we want to do the same. You know, I hope that when you come to this church, you do feel encouraged. I, think, I hope that that encouragement creates within you an, a, a hunger inside of you, an excitement about, you know, taking the next step in your walk of faith with God. I hope that when you hear the Word of God in this church, you get enthusiastic about the chance to make that truth your own. Because we want our church to be a place of encouragement. And, you know, looking at that list, this is a ministry, you know, that, that people can respect. This is a ministry that God can use. This is a ministry that will have a good reputation. And that's the kind of ministry we want, again, to have here at Northgate. So as we kick off our fall ministries, we want, you know, you know we know we don't labor in vain. Instead, we're going to work hard, but we also want to trust God for the fruitfulness. We want to be proclaiming the gospel to people and showing them how they can be growing in a relationship with Jesus. We want to be founded and grounded on the Word of God, preaching the Bible and teaching the Bible in all that we do. We want to be focused on pleasing God by seeking the kingdom first. We want to live and serve with integrity and authenticity. We want to care for people. We want to make this a loving family, giving people a place where they feel valued and where they belong. And we want to be encouragers. Offering people again and again the opportunity to know Jesus more and to grow in their faith and to experience the goodness of God in their lives. You know, and I would invite you to join us in doing that, to be a part of this church, to be part of this family, part of this team that is serving. Because I can assure you that, you know what, as we make our way through life, You're never going to find anything else in your life that will impact your life more. You'll never find a reason that is more worthy of your time and your energy and your strength. You'll never find a purpose that will give your life more meaning than living for Christ and serving Him with your life. And that's not always easy. But you know, even Paul says in his own words, looking back at all the hardships and struggles that he had gone through in his service of the Lord, he says in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, it says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, who's, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. And this fall, I hope that we would discover that same joy in Christ as we serve him together as a church. Let's pray. Father God, um, yeah, we, we stand here on the verge of a new ministry year. And Lord, it is our prayer that you would just greatly bless this season of ministry that we have before us. And Lord, 
you know, we have made plans, we have put in lots of work, but Lord, we want to trust you to work in those things. We want to trust you to provide. We want to trust you for the results. We want to trust you for the financial needs that we have and for the, you know, bringing forth even the volunteers that we need. Because Lord, you are truly the one who is at work in all of these things. And I pray that, Lord, we would just be faithful in ministering. Lord, that we would work hard, that we would be grounded in the word of God, that we would you know, be preaching the gospel, that we'd be dedicated to loving each other and showing care for each other, and that we would be encouraging one another in growth and drawing closer to you. And that, Lord, in our lives and even in our church, Lord, we would live lives that are worthy of the call of Jesus Christ upon our lives. And that, Lord, in doing those things, Lord, we would have a church ministry we can be proud of, a church ministry that you can use in amazing ways in our lives and in our community, and a church that has a good reputation. Because, our Lord, I pray that in dedicating ourselves to these things, Lord, we would really truly be the church that you called us to be and created us to be in this place. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.